Worse than the CIA is the FBI. Mm. I mean, I, I find it reprehensible, unconscionable. There isn't a word strong enough, not just what they did to the former president, and I would say that if he were a Democrat, but to pro-life activist friends, to conservative activist friends, who I can tell you there are dozens, hundreds of these men and women that when they go to sleep each night, they're worried about the FBI knocking on their door. For this reason, they happen to believe in conservative principles. Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. There is so much going on as we begin autumn. And in Washington, D.C., so little of that is actually good. We're going to talk about some heavy topics that actually are, 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 are a little distressing. But we're going to talk about these topics this week with a guest who, in spite of his expertise in difficult topics, someone who's had great leadership roles in this country as a congressman, director of national intelligence, remains one of the most hopeful people I know. And he is truly a great public servant. Of course, you have to account for my bias that our guest, John Ratcliffe, is a fellow Texan, so I love him for that reason. But John and I are going to have a really good conversation this week, and I'm really glad that you've joined us. Director John Ratcliffe, hey, thank great. you for being here, sir. You bet. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, we were just talking about how glorious East Texas is, one, yeah. of, the, one of the many spots of God's country in this country. Absolutely. Yeah, we're both fortunate that we've spent a good uh, portion of our uh, lives in Texas. So thanks for your service as a member of Congress, as director of national intelligence, obviously great career before those two stops. As you know, on this show, we, we always try to get into someone's story so people understand how men and women in public service get to where they are today. And, yeah. and as you and I have gotten to know each other pretty well over the last year, you you really are one of the most thoughtful people I know. So I'm curious nice how it is that. that you can, well, it's heartfelt. I'm, I'm curious, you know, what's what were the, the key moments in your in your upbringing and your early professional career that landed you not just as a member of Congress and a very well-respected one, I would add, but also as President Trump's director of national intelligence? Uh, well, everyone does have a unique story. I, I uh, Mine certainly falls into that category. I was fortunate just by way of background. Both of my parents were teachers and um you know, really instilled a great foundation. I still remember, you know, sitting at the kitchen table and my mom correcting my English, you know, um, every day of my life. Um, but really, I saw, you know, um, you know, my parents um, serving the public in that respect. As you know, um, you know, teachers are are so important, and we see, uh, particularly today, when we don't have teachers dedicated to the right things, the influence that it can have on kids. So I'm, I'm fortunate that my, my parents pointed me in the right direction. But having said that, um, you know, I uh, early on decided I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and so I was really focused and, and probably too much so in that regard. Uh, graduated college early, uh, you know, went to law school, was really focused on being a great lawyer, going out, making a lot of money, being successful, all of those things. And, um, you know, I found that the, the way I was practicing law and civil practice um, really wasn't the reward that I thought it was going to be at the end of the day. And, you know, probably the most profound event in my life and for, for many of us that have lived through it, as it turned out, was 9-11. We just had the, you know, 22nd anniversary of, 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 of 9-11. Um, you know, in my case, um, you know, I was a, a partner in a law firm on a 63rd floor of a, a skyscraper in Dallas, Texas. And, 
you know, you're watching what's happening in 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 uh, New York. And as as you recall, Kevin, um, just this massive uh, sense of patriotism. And I love the fact I, I think back where, you know, Republicans, Democrats singing on the steps of the Capitol, American flags everywhere. And I had this sense of, you know, I never served my country. I didn't serve in the military. Um, is there something I could do? And so I I I did something that was really crazy, which was. Um, you know, left that position when the Department of Justice said, we're going to change our priority and make the prevention of terrorism the number one goal and established um, terrorism prosecution units within each U.S. attorney's office. Um, I applied for that. Um, uh, you know, From made, this Dallas law firm. Yeah, this from a Dallas. People thought I was crazy. I mean, I, I literally applied for a job that paid about one-tenth of what I was making. Um, and was fortunate, um, you know, probably because they thought, <laughs> uh, why, why would this guy do this? But um, it's the best decision I ever made, the best job I ever had. You know, you, you know, all of a sudden, I'm not just a lawyer. I'm a lawyer standing up representing the United States of America. And it really just sort of put me on a path to public service. And I found that, you know, even though I wasn't making any money, um, I was enjoying my life um, so much more. And that's really what, um, you know, led me on a path where, you know, I ultimately, you know, ran for Congress, uh, won a race that I, you know, had no business winning. We've talked about that before. And, um, you know, the, the, really sort of those guiding principles, I think back to that moment and that time and how things changed for me. And it didn't make a lot of sense, but I really sent, felt a sense of purpose. And obviously, you know, it's taken me on this path to, you know, I never would have dreamed of. Um, uh, but, you know, all along the opportunity to, to um, you know, make America better. That's a very inspiring story, truly. You know, our, our audience, of course, is a great composition of, of America, uh, younger, older, in between. But I hear often from younger colleagues, younger friends on the Hill around the country who pay attention to the guests in spite of the host of the show <laughs> because they're looking for some, some guidance in career and life. And, and we have some topics we'll cover, so we'll move on. But just to hang on the point – I find, especially in the world of D.C., that when there are thoughtful men and women in D.C., they're on this show or other heritage events, that, that people just sort of stop and listen because they – this is the point. We're not used to people in D.C. being thoughtful, being, being pensive. It doesn't mean that they're not firm and courageous and all of those things. But I think as, as I know what motivates you, which is to retake this country – for common sense, for founding principles, for ordered liberty, that we can do that in a way that doesn't mean we have to be throwing bombs all the time. Right. But you, my friend, two days ago had a wonderful Wall Street Journal editorial <laughs> that uh, that had some heat in it. Yeah. And I loved it. And so there's a time and place for that. And this was about the CIA mm -hmm. and about China and about COVID. So tell us about what you wrote and why. Well, unfortunately, there's a whistleblower that, that came out um, saying that, you know, that in the case of uh, the CIA's approach to um, the origins of COVID that, you know, and it's again, it's a whistleblower, it's an allegation, but that within the CIA, um, uh, six analysts who assessed that the lab leak was the most likely source of uh uh, of the COVID pandemic, um, not some natural zoonotic transmission from a bat to a human, um, were pressured and ultimately um, 
essentially paid off with financial rewards to change that opinion. The reason it's important, you know, when I was director of national intelligence, you oversee, um, you know, 18 different intelligence agencies. But CIA is the premier intelligence service um, in this country. And it's sort of the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And so all of the other agencies, for a whole host of reasons, are reluctant to take a different position. So as long as the CIA sits on the sideline, um, it's often hard to get to the truth. And um, the, the reason I wrote the, the op-ed was this was consistent with what I encountered when I was DNI, where, where CIA's assessments um, were at times at odds with what the intelligence was was, was telling us. I want folks to be real clear. We have the best intelligence collection enterprise of any country in the world. But when you collect intelligence, human intelligence, signals intelligence, all types of intelligence, there's a process where that intelligence gets analyzed into, you know, uh, conclusions or assessments that then go to policymakers. And that's where sometimes politics comes into play. And and what now two whistleblowers within the CIA have said is that, you know, uh, in in the case of China and COVID, that that the CIA um, folks within mid level management to high level management, you know, didn't want to make assessments on China um, that they thought would be helpful to President Trump and his policies, and that was something that I encountered on a daily basis there. And so, um, when the second whistleblower came out, um, I felt it was important to to step out and 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 talk about it in a very public way. And as you said, it, it brought some heat, and obviously. You know, uh, there are folks that, that won't be happy, but, you know, I understand the importance and role that our intelligence community has to play. And it's an institution um, that like the FBI and the Department of Justice and and, uh, you know, where the American people have to have faith and trust that that we're doing the right things for the right reasons. And and that's really in question right now. In, in a huge way, I mean, it, about the, the institution of the agency of the CIA, but also the institution of government, most institutions generally. And and COVID actually had a lot to do with that because even if you were to ascribe the best of intentions, which I'm no longer willing to do, I think there was a lot of injustice and evil behind this, particularly with the Chinese Communist Party, you, you realize that the government had a real credibility gap. And, and one of the things we're trying to get at in this COVID commission that you are very kindly chairing for the Heritage Foundation isn't just that, but what are the lessons learned for the sake of public policy in the future? But sort of underlying that is the point you just made, which is to restore the American people's confidence in right. government, regardless which party is in power. Absolutely. And so, you know, something that really underscores this point, as, as you know, when I was in Congress, I was on the Intelligence Committee. Um, and, you know, Congress has a role in overseeing, has oversight role over the intelligence community. Well, it wasn't until I became the director of national intelligence and walked in and said, show me the intelligence that we have that says there's Russian collusion. Show me the intelligence that says that um, that there's support, that this was a natural, uh, you know, development of of uh, of the covid from from a zoonotic transmission. And the fact is, the intelligence didn't show that. But uh, and, and so as an elected official for the American people with oversight, I wasn't getting the truth. I literally had to become the director of national intelligence um, to get the truth. And and so, you know, that's why I think, look, a lot of the good work that the intelligence community does has to stay necessarily behind closed doors. We don't want it in public view. Um, but but there is 
there is a level of transparency that the American people deserve, and you have to, to give that um, for the truth to be out there and for people to have that faith and trust. So, you know, hopefully I've done that. I think you have. Worse than the CIA and, and the situation you highlighted in that op-ed, and I, here I will um, bring some heat to the conversation, not aimed at you, but aimed at the agency as the FBI. Hmm. I mean, I, I find it reprehensible, unconscionable. There isn't a word strong enough, not just what they did to the former president. And I would say that if he were a Democrat, but to pro-life activist friends, to conservative activist friends who I can tell you there are dozens, hundreds of these men and women that when they go to sleep each night, they're worried about the FBI knocking on their door for this reason. They happen to believe in conservative principles. Right. And so here at Heritage, we're ready to tear it down and start over from scratch. I believe there ought to be a Federal Bureau of Investigation. But tell me if, if you had a magic wand to, to, to reform the FBI, what that would look like. Yeah. So what, what's heartbreaking for me is, as we talked about, you know, my career started, you know, in public service in the Department of Justice and working with, with uh, you know, still lifetime friends from the FBI who are, you know, wanting to serve the country in the same way. Plenty of good men and women still a in the agency. You know, absolutely. But... Um, uh, yeah, in the last, you know, uh, six, seven, eight, nine years, you've seen this troubling. It would be one thing if it was a one-off event, um, but it's not. It's a, it's a persistent pattern of politi- politicization, um, you know, for political reasons um, to, to influence how the FBI and the Department of Justice is, is approaching things. And it, it breaks my heart, frankly, because that's, you know, again, where I, where I started. And again, even, um, you know, both in Congress and uh, and as the director of national intelligence to think that, you know, uh, the, the senior most people in, in the FBI and at the Department of Justice would would play that role. But, you know, I'm the one that, you know, declassified much of the intelligence that we're now talking about here that shows that, you know, that it was a Hillary Clinton campaign trick and that there was never any Russian collusion. And yet, you know, um, our country was turned upside down because of, you know, that whole, you know, hoax. I mean, the president used that word early on, witch hunt. It's absolutely true. It's 100 percent accurate. And, you know, um, and folks don't want to focus on that. So I'm with you. You know, you know, I think that you hear these calls, you know, defund the FBI. Really, what we need to do is, you know, is to turn it inside out, uh, dump it upside down. And um, there are reforms and, and, and part of, you know, um, the transition project is to to make those recommendations so that, you know, hopefully when you have a principal leader in the White House and a principal person at the top of the Department of Justice, they'll go back to putting it, you know, um, in a position, the FBI and the Department of Justice, where, where they can, you know, even more so probably than the intelligence community, this is where the faith and trust that people have to believe that, you know, um, you know, when we're prosecuting people that we're doing it because they truly violated the law or people are being persecuted, it's because they're, you know, they're taking actions that, that you know, are worthy of that type of, um, you know, investigation. And that's just, it's simply not happening for all the reasons that you talked about. Yeah, and, 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 and I know this, so I know you. You have to know this in spades, given your experience, that uh, there are men and women inside the FBI who, of course, great patriots, like anyone in this audience, like you, who are are virtuous, and they just feel assailed. Like the very reason that they want to serve the country 
is undermined by a handful of really bad apples. Yeah, I will say this. You know, one thing about, uh, you know, to that regard is uh, I'm hesitant to now just say it's a few bad apples because it's been a problem for so long that if you talk about it that way, people think it's a small problem. And it's not. It's become a cultural problem. Well, it's just it's 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 one of these things where what we've seen and it's really started in the Obama administration where they've embedded partisans at the highest, you know, mid and senior level management within these institutions that are there that now over the course of time have influenced it. So the problem is it's becoming a bigger problem and and we need to we need to take that on in that respect because it it it's going to require those kind of major structural reforms that you and I you know, both believe me are necessary. No, thank you for that. The, the, the FBI, therefore, exemplifies the problem with the American administrative state writ, writ large, right? Yeah. And so, what, and you've been a vital part of Project 2025, our, our transition project, which starts with policy and with people. One part of that um, before a presidential transition is a legislative action, which is this 702 reform. Talk to us about what that is for people who don't know and um, how it's relevant. Well, it's a, 702 is part of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. The problem is, to this point of weaponization that we've is is unfortunately now the American public hears the word FISA and it's a, a no pun intended it's a four letter word um, because they know that there are examples where um, this very important surveillance tool has been misused to spy and and violate American civil liberties. Now, when I say it's a very important tool, let me just tell you that as the DNI, my responsibility was to present the president's daily brief, to brief the president daily on the very most, uh, you know, relevant, cogent intelligence that he would need to make, you know, uh, decisions to keep our country safe. And a significant percentage of that comes from the provisions of 702, um, which, which allow us to surveil um, you know, foreign actors engaged in, in bad activity that, that mean to, to harm us and degrade our national security. The problem is what we have seen, particularly in the Obama administration and now carrying forward into the Biden um, administration, um, and, 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 I, and it occurred, you know, even during the Trump administration through these embedded partisans, if you will, um, was to turn that important tool inward on American citizens um, and even members of Congress who have been spied upon. And so um, I think it's important. I hope we can get to the point where we get it back to the important tool that it's meant to be. But it's going to have to have significant guardrails, just like everything else that we've talked about. And that's something that Congress is looking at right now. And I'm I'm working with them to try and preserve it because it, it doesn't make America safer when used appropriately. Yeah, and it sounds like your position is exactly heritage's, which is that we we have huge concerns. I mean, significant concerns about the abuse. And yet, as our, our you know, my colleagues in our in our Mies Center for for Legal Research would say, the initial component, the initial motivation for that is still very important as it relates to national intelligence, particularly given the threat we have from right. China. Well, here's the here's the yeah. So you know, here's the thing. You know, people don't like to talk about these things publicly um, or highlight them. But, you know, one of my, my one of my predecessors, James Clapper, who was the director of national intelligence, lied to Congress. Now, I'm on air saying that he lied to Congress, but the fact is he did. And so there's no uh, that that's an irrefutable position about FISA. In other words, he was asked whether it was being used to spy on Americans. And he said no, very clearly when it had been repeatedly. And so, you know, as much as that 
um, is uncomfortable to talk about. We have to if we're going to prevent that type of abuse from going forward. Um, you know, you talk about China. Um, I want to comment on this because, you know, you talked about me being hopeful and now I'm telling you all the <laughs> things that we've got to fix. Uh, I think it's important for people to understand this. I'm, I'm, I talk about China a lot because it's our greatest geopolitical threat. And I, as DNI, I did something that DNIs don't do, which was write an op-ed to the American people in the Wall Street Journal highlighting, you know, exactly that. But I don't want people to lose sight of this, is that I have every confidence that America, that the United States will prevail over the Chinese Communist Party um, and China. Um, for a whole host of reasons, just like we've overcome, you know, the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany, Imperial, you know, uh, Japan. Um, but um, but the current administration and their approach to this very important, um, our most strategic uh, geopolitical f- foe is is helping China and it's making it more difficult. Um, so, you know, uh, at the end of the day, what 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 helps us and where people should take hope is. Uh, just like all autocratic, you know, societies, um, they're selling a bad product. They're selling something, um, you know, what the United States has going for us is that even though we have challenges uh, and people that work against it, at the end of the day, we have a foundation that's built on the principle of embracing the human spirit and free will and the ability of a person to go as high and as far as their own hard work, determination and ability will carry them. The Chinese Communist Party takes the absolute opposite approach. And you can only suppress the human spirit so long. We've learned that historically. But the Biden administration's prolonging that and our ability to overcome China as, as, the, as the absolute uh, threat that they are. And, and one of the ways they're prolonging that is this emphasis by President Biden and so many radical left policymakers on climate change. And, and it isn't just that... The, climate change picture is at the very least a lot more complicated. I would, I would, I would, I would trend toward using the word hoax, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that with, with you on the show, but let's just, let's just posit that there's something there. When we basically make policy, all policy through the lens of climate change, it benefits the Chinese. And so it, it aggravates that existing threat that China poses in ways that, the average American who probably intuits there's more nuance to this the climate right. change than than Biden lets on uh, just wouldn't apprehend how how much more powerful that conversation makes the Chinese right because they don't abide by you know we you know we can have all the paper straws we want in this country uh, offset to a factor of a million by um, the environmental um, uh, actions that that uh, China takes to you know to contaminate and pollute the world, and so um, uh, they love the fact that we slow down, we add regulations, and we do things in the name of climate change that 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 you know um, you know uh, are only going to have an incremental uh, impact over hundreds of years. Um, and you know to that point, I mean you know as the director of national intelligence, I had to prioritize intelligence and we do a we did a worldwide threat assessment and China was you know it was a thirty five page summary of all of our intelligence concerns and our national security threats. China was on the top of the first page, and um you know climate change was you know near the end of the last page i mean so when you when you line up uh what's disingenuous about this administration is they took that list and they flipped it to put climate change as our as i've heard the president say our greatest national security threat our intelligence says absolutely uh, very much different so i'd sit here and talk to you for hours uh given given your expertise but i know that you've got some work to do and um 
and obviously Heritage always has work to do. So I'll ask you one final question for now, but we'll be sure and, and have you back. I can only imagine that you have seen intelligence about the worst of the worst. And even though you're naturally optimistic, I'm sure sometimes that was sort of discouraging. You're also thoughtful about the position that the American Republic is in. There's a lot of conversation right now about whether we're managing decline. And there's a lot of evidence to support that we might be managing decline. Or if, in fact, there's a path ahead, however narrow. I know you well enough that I think you got up this morning hopeful about the American future. And I'd be curious, given all of those challenges you're very well aware of, why? Well, again, I, I believe uh, I am hopeful. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, again, believe that uh, to the point that I made, you know, the human spirit um, rises to the top. And, 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 um, and we're so fortunate that our founding fathers just embraced those principles in, a, in the structure of a government that has now, you know, persevered for, you know, two and a half centuries. And uh, we're still the world's superpower. Um, we're still the place where everyone's trying to leave to get to. Um, all of those things really speak to what, you know, um, you know, our great leaders have always talked about and America is the shining city on the hill. And, I, and, and we still are. The problem is we have these episodes and moments where there are people that try and take it down. We can't take it for granted. As Reagan said, we're always one generation away from extinction with regard to, to the, you know, to the amazing principles that are set forth in our Constitution. But we have people that are constantly fighting. You and I are fighting because, you know, we're willing to change our careers to, to, you know, dedicate ourselves to these principles because we know how important it is. We know that the amazing lives that we've had, we want our kids and our grandkids to have that. And there, there, there are more of us than there are of them with respect to people that want to tear this country down or want to make it a global society where, you know, there are no borders and everyone's, you know, operating, you know, the same way. And so, um, that's why I'm, you know, uh, I'm optimistic, uh, you know, I'm going to go across the, the street to, to Capitol Hill today. And, and I know there are more people that think the way that, that, that you and I think about this country and preserving this country and are willing to fight for this country than there are working against our best interests and, and, the, and, and for the interests of our adversaries. And the key seems to be to remind the majority that, that they should not be silent. Because Absolutely. it's the other side that wants them to be silent, right? Absolutely. Well, we, we've talked about the importance of, of speaking out and speaking truth to the American people. You know, um, Isaiah 117, do right, seek justice. And it's a principle that, you know, um, as we talk about all of these things, you know, um, uh, is, is, is a great pursuit. John Ratcliffe, thanks for your service to the country. Thanks for being a friend and colleague here at Heritage. And we look forward to working with you in the future. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for joining us for this great episode with former Director of National Intelligence, former Congressman John Ratcliffe. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Obviously, there are some difficulties facing the American Republic, but there are also great men and women like John who are doing something about it. Until next time, take care. Keep the faith. The Kevin Roberts Show is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The producer is Philip Reynolds. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and Tim Kennedy. For more information and to subscribe, please visit heritage.org.